Good morning. It's great to see all of you today. Hey, I just want to get a show of hands. How many of you are putting up Christmas decorations yet? Where are the good people of the earth? Where are they? There they are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, man, I tell you, I've already started putting the backbone of my electrical system in place. I have to run this backbone of, you know, um, a certain amount of breakers and all that other stuff because I just love it. And then the other thing is, is like I'm grandpa. So I do all this work and I put up all this stuff and, you know, I want to get the most out of it. So if, if you're looking for Christmas lights early, swing by, just head down to Hollywood, South Carolina and start, there's a dirt road, you go down it and right there you'll begin to experience the Christmas spirit where me and my house, we are serving the Lord. We are, we, are, we, we are doing Christmas, and we've already started that. That's not in the Bible, so don't quote that. It's great to see everybody, but uh, we've been talking about doing life together and the power of doing life together, and one of the things that we really needed to learn, and we just kind of like get it into our heads, that um, Jesus prayed about us doing life together. That's what he prayed about. And, and something about when you read a prayer that Jesus prays, when you hear what he prayed, it kind of shows you like what's really important and paramount. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that Jesus does. It's, it's kind of like, have you ever hit your thumb with a hammer and then you've told everybody you don't cuss anymore? You know, you don't use words like that. And you've told your junior high, you know, child or a student in your life that you don't cuss. And then all of a sudden you just hit your thumb and all of a sudden you're like, oh, yes, yes, that's right. I still do. I know those words. And, I, and you let them come out. And, and the, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when we hear Jesus pray, it's kind of like, what is in the heart of Jesus? What is he looking for? What is he trying to accomplish? We know about salvation. We know about some of the things that he does. We know he, he does some healing works and, and all that. But it's like, when Jesus is alone, when Jesus is talking to his father, when Jesus is praying what's on his heart, what is he talking about? What is most important to him? And this is the prayer. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but of those who also believe in me through their word, that they may all be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. So you hear it in this prayer out of John 17, is that, that they may be one, that they may be one, that they may be one. I mean... This, in just this short prayer, three times, he talks to the Father about us being one, us doing life together. But it's not just doing life together, is it? I mean, there's a, there's a quality of how life is done together. I mean, he says that they may be one, that they may be one, but he adds the qualifier that they may be one even as we are one that it's not just enough to be one. It's not enough to be a part of a group. It's not enough to just be a part of a thing, an organization. But Jesus says that they may be one, that they may be unified, but that they may be one as 
you, Heavenly Father, and me, Son, Jesus, and Holy Spirit are one. May there be a quality of oneness. See, I don't think people who have an argument with church would have as much argument. Matter of fact, I will tell you this. I have really haven't found many high intellectual arguments against the existence of God and, uh, and Jesus, the historicity of Jesus as a person. What I do find arguments about is the quality of the church that they experience. And it's because this idea that God has given us is that we may be one, but we're not just one because we're all Baptists or we're all Catholics or we're all Pentecostals and speak in tongues, or we're all in agreement on the second coming of Christ, or we're all Democrats, or we're all Republicans, or we're all pro-life, or whatever. It's like, no, no, I pray that they may be one with a quality of oneness that, that God himself has, with the quality of God's love as being unconditional, relentless, sacrificial, giving, personable, I mean, those are the qualities of God. When God says, may they be one, it's not like, oh, no, no, I just don't want you all voting the same way. That's not what I'm looking for. Um, I'm wanting you to love one another, be one, but I want you to be one the way that I am one. When he talks about marriage, God's not just after safe sex. God's not just after people doing legal marriage. God is looking for not only relationship together, but he's looking for it in the quality that God has within himself. Because we can do one the wrong way. We can be one, and many of you are walking through that right now. Your marriage is, is it's still one, and you're committed to do it till death do you part, but there's jealousy, there's envy, there's bitterness, there's unforgiveness. It's one, but it's not of the quality that Jesus is looking for in our lives. But it's so much so about us being together as a church that we are called to be one. That's what he wants. So if you're sitting here today and you're just like, you know, I just think it's, I think it's just about you and God and you, you and God kind of working it out. And I think that that's my church, me and God. And it's like, that's a, that's a neat idea. That's neat. It's bogus, biblically. I mean, it's, it's not what Jesus prayed. And Jesus didn't pray, hey, I pray that they would be saved. I mean, that would, he wants us to be saved. I pray that they go to heaven. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, part of the idea. But what he prayed was that we would walk in relationship with each other, that we'd be unified with the quality of love that God himself has within himself, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. A new kind of together. Um, an unconditional together. A, a loving, a, a, a together that that um, creates spaces that are safe for each other to grow and to become what God has called us to be. We are called to be a culture, an ethos of just as he is one. That's what we're called to be. That's our standard. You know, we're, too often the church looks at the world and says, well, we're not gonna be that. That's our goal. We're not gonna be like those people. Or we'll compare each church to another church. We're not gonna be like the Catholics. Well, we're not gonna be like the Baptists. And it's like, okay, so your uniqueness is going to spring from your, your distinction from other people. No, our uniqueness springs from the very essence of God. Our, what distinguishes us is that we love one another the way God loves, the 
the way that God gives, the way that God sacrifices, the way that God is unconditional. We are invited to a city on a hill of divine values and character. That's what we're invited to. Not any city just set on a hill with a good location, but rather a city that is built upon the very nature and the character of God himself, not just together to be together. So God has invited us to be a part of this life together. And there's a couple of things that he wants us to do together. And two of them that we're talking about today is to grow up together and to grow together. He wants us to be kind of growing up in Christ, but he also wants us growing together. Um, I want you to hear this. It's, it's no wonder that Francis Crick, who kind of did the DNA thing, discovery, and the, the double helix and all that, uh, it's interesting that it is a double helix because it appears in something, a conversation that Jesus has, how life is spun in a certain kind of way in the Christian faith that resembles biological faith. Jesus was in a conversation with a lawyer. It continues this way. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus responded to him, said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love the Lord, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So he's kind of like on these two commandments this thing is spun. This is how life happens. Is is and because I know we're we're in a country of individualism, of singleness, your own truth, your own person. I mean, we we talk about Jesus being my personal savior. It's right in a way. It is part of it having a personal savior, but it's personal only so that we can be spun together in relationship, in life together. He says that um, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and all this. And, we, and most of us would agree on that one. And most of us kind of prefer that one. But it says the second is like the other one. And when he says the second is like, in the Greek language there, there were two words that he could have used. He could have used um, the word heterogeneous, meaning that there's the first commandment and then there's another commandment. It would be like equivalent to saying, I have an orange and I have an apple. They are both fruits, but they are heterogeneous. They're, they're in the same category of, of, they're in fruit, but they're two different kinds. But he used a different word, homogeneous, meaning that the second commandment is exactly the same as the first commandment. It is of the same nature. And see, and that's where we get our rub, isn't it? Because we want to do life on our own terms with just us. I don't want to have to get along with you. I don't want to have to go to a small group. Uh, I don't want to have to go to church with other human beings. I want to just do it on my kayak. Oh, man, that just sounds so good to my soul. That every Sunday morning, I'm going to go have church. Pastor, I have church out in my bass boat all by myself, just me and the big man upstairs just have church. You know, and it sounds right, doesn't it? And there's an element, but there's another homogeneous idea that says that we're supposed to be doing life together because as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are doing life together, we are called to do life with one another, and that's what we're called to. 
So we're doing life together, uh, and what we're doing is we're growing together. That's what we're doing. So this is going to be really challenging today because you're not going to like this um, because doing life together is difficult. It's hard. Uh, it, it takes, it's going to take a couple of things. Well, let me just talk about them. It takes us to grow up um, as a disciple, as a learner, a lover, and a leader. I mean, that's what it's going to require. That's what it's going to call us into, to do life together, to do life in this city that God has called us to be a part of. So what's a learner? You know, as I've looked at the word learner and I've looked at what learners look like in the scriptures, I've kind of put together an aggregate of, of all the ideas of what the disciples did, what was taught by Paul and Peter and, and what was taught by Jesus and kind of put together this definition of what a biblical um, city on a hill uh, learner looks like. And this is what we're called to. Listen to it. A learner is one who is intentional, receptive, and engaging the life change challenge into Christ-likeness. One who is intentional, receptive, and engaging the life change challenge into Christ-likeness. There's a lot of stuff in there. I mean, that is a real challenge for our lives. Because there's a lot of different kinds of learning you can do. You can, you can just be gathering information. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're like, well, if God wants me to know it, he'll let me know it. No, this is intentional. This is going after it. This is, I could have used the word disciple here. Um, but it's the idea of being intentional. I want to know what God thinks about this. I want to put my place, myself in a place of learning. I want to be receptive. That's another tough thing because you can be in a place of learning but not be receptive to change. It's like, yeah, you know, you know, your whole idea is like, yeah, I hear it, but I'm not really. I mean, a lot of us have been through college or high school and you learned a lot of stuff in calculus one, calculus two. You learned Spanish. I took four years of Russian, okay? Four years of Russian in high school. And all I can say today is Menazavut Pavel. That just means my name is Paul. Four years of parochial school, and all I remember is for a matter of fact, after the first service, a woman came up, and she introduced herself, and she was Russian. And so I was like, oh, goody, and, you know, but I'm like, I'm out. That's it. God, that's all I can do. I can't talk no more. But the, the whole idea is being a disciple, being, doing life together, growing up together means that we're intentional, but we're receptive, and we're engaging it means that, okay, this is what you're, I'm learning, I'm going to engage that. And that's what we're all supposed to be together, is that we're supposed to be receptive, we're supposed to be intentional, we're supposed to be engaging and, and turning into something else, into Christ's likeness. Um, uh, will you grab, do me a favor? There's a stool right over there. Could you grab that for me? Um, let me just uh, do it this way, because this is, this is gonna be difficult. Um, thank you so much. Guys, let's give it up for Drew. Yeah, there you go. Thank you so much. It's because we all have one of these. And, and that is the seat that somebody sits in that determines what you're going to do with your life. 
what the, how you're going to have sex, who you're going to have sex with, what you're going to do with your money, whether or not you're going to forgive your father or not, whether or not you're, um, you know, you're going to serve at the church, whether you're going to give or not. I mean, that, that, how you're going to parent. And there's this, like, seat of authority. And for the most part, most of us sit here. And it's, you know, it's kind of like we're going to do what we're going to do. I mean, you may be 35 here, and you're sitting in a seat of authority, or maybe you're 40 or 50 or 60, whatever it may be, but, but this is like your seat of authority. And what we're told in, that in the kingdom of God, we're supposed to give up that seat. What, what is marriage supposed to look like? And for a lot of us, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. There's no way I'm letting my husband do that. Oh, oh, oh this stupid idea about wives submit to your husbands. I was like, oh, yeah, right. That's really going to happen. That, when a Dumb idea. Husbands, die for your wives. There ain't no way I'm dying for that woman. You know, I mean, it's just no way. I mean, we hear these crazy ideas, and it, we, as long as we stay in this chair, and that we are our own authorities, which is so amazing. I mean, how can a 35-year-old be an authority on anything? I mean, I know it's cool to be 30, and you got, you're young, and you can play pickleball and all that stuff. I'm almost 65 years old, and I still don't feel like I'm an authority of anything. I mean, it's like authority of parenting. I mean, it's funny. You put a mom, a 35-year-old mom in there, and they are like the most brilliant people in the world. Don't tell a mom how to raise her children. If you want to die, tell a mother at the age of 35 how she should be raising her 10-year-old boy. You know, you need to really just, you need to calm him down. I'm telling you what, you want to see death on a stick? I mean, she's coming at you, and it's like, but it's so funny. We, we live with everything. Like, I know what a marriage should be. I know what sexuality should be. I know what, you know, how I should deal with unforgiveness uh, or anger. And being in the kingdom of God, what we're invited to is the challenge of giving up that seat. You got to give up that seat. Well, this is what I believed as a Catholic. Well, this is what I believed as a Baptist. Or this is what I believed as an atheist. Or this is what I believe, and this is the way that I was raised. But being a learner in the kingdom of God, doing life together means that you got to be willing to give that up. And not, we're not trying to turn you into me. You don't want to be me. You don't, we're not trying to take your chair. Either. If you ever go to a church where they try to take your chair from you, go to another church. But if they're trying to turn you into the pastor, go to another church. Learning, biblical learning, is learning to be Christ-like. What is God's intention for your life? And being willing to like, and sometimes I have a fight with God. I'll be like, oh, I love Lord, I love Jesus as my Savior, and he wants me to love my wife. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I I, 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 give, I give my marriage totally to him. I totally, he is in control of my marriage. And I'll just keep just a little squeak of my butt on that chair because I don't want to totally give up my authority or my expertise when God is calling me to yield it to him. Another thing that we're called to is to be a lover in the city of God. A lover is this, one who is passionately seeking value-adding interaction with God, ourselves, and with others. 
I mean, passionately looking at an opportunity to make a difference in a person's life. I mean, you go to a restaurant, and not to be honest with you, um, I get embarrassed going to restaurants with Christians sometimes. Um, and uh, no, no judgment, but sometimes Christians are like, they're really harsh. And, uh, and they tip, they suck at tipping, you know? Um, and, and, and so when you go to a restaurant, you have an opportunity to be a lover, to provide a, a value-adding interaction. Most of us know at the restaurants today that you go to, the service is usually kind of sucky, okay? We've noticed like in the last two to three years, it's like gone, ooh, the time when you get your food, the attitude of the person. Well, here's, let me just tell you, before you go eating that person for lunch, know this, those are the people who decided that they still wanted a job. See, most of the people walked off the job and aren't working anywhere. What you're ending up with is the overworked person who's doing the work of five and is still trying to serve you your food, but yet they don't have enough employees to cover all the tables. But we're gonna walk in there and expect excellence for my money. Not the Christian. The Christian walks in there in every situation and looks for how do I add value to this moment because he's having a bad day. He's doing the work of five. And, and doing life together is where we're open to be taught, to learn from each other. But we're also looking to add value to each other, not to tear each other down. We're being very intentional about loving one another. That's what we're called to do, to give up self on the seat. You're not living your own truth anymore. You're called to now live his truth. And we're also called to be a leader. And we think about leaders, we think about um, uh, you know, Bill Belichick leading the New England Patriots, not so much. Uh, we think about Tony Robbins with all those teeth in his mouth and, and, you know, about how to be a business leader and how to, you know, influence people and all that other stuff. Well, in, in the, the city of God, a leader is this. It's one who lives with the courage and the determination to help bring about God's best in all situations and others. That's a leader. That's what, it, when the Bible talks about husbands loving their wives and gives a sense of, communicates some sort of leadership in a relationship, this is what he's talking about. The courage and determination to bring about the best in a spouse, in a loved one, at work, anywhere, in a situation that's even difficult and even scary. That's what God has called us to be. It's not to be the one who's in charge one who gets to call the shots, the one who gets paid the most. That's, that's another city. We're in the city of God where leadership is when you, through courage and determination, bring about God's best into every situation that you walk into. This is how we're supposed to be doing life together. This is how we're supposed to be uh, living the way that Christ has called us to live. See, the church is... I'm gonna use some words here, and, I, and it's, it's a little difficult to say because I'm not sure I'm saying it right, so you're gonna to have to give me a little bit, you're gonna to have to lead here, and you're gonna to have to do some loving. Um, so you're gonna to have to look for the best and, and, and give me a little bit of that compassion that we were just talking about. See, the, the church is supposed to be the place with the right kind of tolerance. Um, the church is supposed to be a place where we create spaces 
for transformation. It's not where we expose the failures or the compromises or the lifestyles of people that are contrary to the Bible. That's not the space that we were called to create. We were called to create space where transformation can happen into the likeness of Christ. A safe place where, where you, you can come as screwed up as possible, where your life is all messed up, where you're doing all kinds of crazy things and you're, and you're safe here. And that while you're safe, you begin to experience the transformation into Christ-likeness. So stop looking for a church that will affirm the way that you're, you're living. See, a lot of us will go from church to church looking to see if, they, if this church will, do they affirm my lifestyle? And now I, let me just say, I gotta get into the weeds here, that we tend to use that phrase when dealing with the gay issue. Um, I'm not using it in that context. It may include that context, but no, 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 no. We're not getting, it's the whole idea is that all of us wanna be someplace where, where everybody loves us just the way that we are. And we think that's what the church is all about. It's like, oh no, you be you. You live your truth. You be you, and, and it's like, yeah, I'm gonna affirm you, and like, it's my job to affirm you. No, my job is to accept you. My job is not to affirm you. Only the word of God can do the work of affirmation. I, have, I don't know if I can affirm you. I mean, there's Scott and Amy over there. Look at them, look at that, such a good-looking couple. She's so embarrassed that she's been picked out. Scott is still recovering from the beating I put on him in pickleball. Um, and they think, uh, wonderful couple, look at, got one of his daughters sitting right next to him. She's got her boyfriend with her. I mean, this is amazing. It's like, oh, look at it, it looks so good, doesn't it? Oh, I affirm them. I don't know if Scott's not beating her at home. I, seriously. I don't know if he's not some sort of misogynist pig. I don't know if she's like Attila the Hun reincarnated. I don't know, you know, if they're swingers. I, I mean, you don't got a pineapple upside down in your front yard, do you? I, mean, I didn't mean to let everybody know about the pineapple thing, but it, it is a thing. But see, so it's like, well, I wanna go to a church where they affirm me. It's like, no, that's not what the church does. The church accepts you. Create a space where you're safe to do what? Not be you any longer. Give up your chair. Be what? A mini pastor? A mini what? What am I supposed to be? Christ-like. But in between that, being able to pull that off, which I'm having a hard time pulling it off sometimes, is that it's gotta be a safe place. And that's what church is supposed to be. It's a safe place where we all walk through it. It's not my job to affirm people. God did not invite you to affirm you. God invited you to transform you. And I know you're kind of like, what? I thought you loved me just as I am. It's like, no, I, I love you right where you are. But I don't want you to remain the way that you are. I want to change you into something. What? A Baptist? A Catholic? A Pentecostal? Uh, a Republican? What? No, 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 no. I want to change you into Christ-like. That's what I want you. I want you to be part of a city that's built upon divine nature. Not American nature. Divine nature. Not human nature. Divine nature. Um, and, and, but you're going to have to give up your, 
your chair, your seat of authority. There's an example of this. It's like the space of, of tolerance that leads to transformation. This woman was caught in adultery. Listen to how this works. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came into the temple and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. This is already looking quite perverted, to be honest with you. Bunch of guys staring in a window. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, what then do you say? See, they're not looking for creating a safe space, are they? They're not really looking for a divine city. Uh, they were saying this, testing Jesus, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman, where she was, in the center of the court. See, this new city that I'm talking about, this life together, welcomed her and showed her mercy. Strengthening, straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. And it's like, oh my goodness, what, a, what kind of place to be? I, would, I mean, isn't that what our souls long for is where we can be vulnerable in front of other people and it, we don't get stoned for it? Where we don't have to look like we're perfect on Sunday morning? Where, where we are safe to be broken and in that safe space, we receive mercy. And we're like, yes, I want to go to a church like that. I do too. I think I'm in a church like that. You say, well, that's what we're doing. That's what it's all about. No, it's not what it's all about. Because Jesus further defines what this church looks like. He presents her a church that challenged her to live a new life defined by God. He said, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. Wow. See, we have a hard time striking this balance. You know, it's kind of like, well, how do we figure out, wait a minute, Pastor Paul, you talked about anybody could come in. You, and, you know, I, got, I get emails a lot. And almost invariably, before I get to my car, it's like, were you just saying that it was okay to be a homosexual and be a Christian at the same time? I said, let me put it a better way. It's okay to be you and be a Christian at the same time. Leave the homosexuals alone. God has a hard enough time with you, you know? Um, and we're like, wait a minute, are you affirming? I'm not affirming anybody. I'm not affirming me. I, I'm not up here telling you I got it all worked out. I'm a whack job in my head, man. I mean, <laughs> let me just seriously. I walked in, when I was in here earlier, um, I was just kind of walking around waiting for the first service to start, you know? And, and, you know, you would think I'm like saturated with the Holy Ghost, speaking in an unknown tongue 
seeing visions of Daniel and Paul and, and whatever else. And I'm just kind of like ready to preach the word. And I'm walking through and I go into that thing, that hallway back there, but we call it a vestibule because we're in church, but it's actually a hallway. And I was walking in the hallway and I looked over and I saw Derek Nimmons there. And I know you would think, well, you're Pastor Paul. You probably had great thoughts towards Derek Nimmons, didn't you? He was up against the wall and Derek's like this hulking, hulking guy. I mean, he's like big guy if you don't know him. Probably like the biggest guy. And he's up against the wall and he's talking to somebody. And I'm like, you know what I would like to do? I looked at him like, I'd like to run at him and just jump up and put my hip into him. I used to play hockey when I was younger in Boston. And I'd like to hip check him right in the gut. And then say, hey, good morning, buddy. You know, as he's gasping for And I was like, where did that thought come from? I'm like, I don't. And so I went over and I told him, I said, dude, guess what? I was just thinking about hip checking you. And I'm glad I didn't because he would have knocked me out. But just say, what, what is that all about? Is that there's got to be a place where we're all accepted and that we're all broken and we all have screw-ups in our lives. But don't you think for a second that's all church is called to be? We are now called to give up this church, uh, this chair. That we are now, we're tolerated by grace to be transformed by grace. That's what God's calling us into. And now I know you're here and, and um, you know, you're thinking about maybe this church, maybe, maybe right now, um, do you think the big question that you have to answer is, did you like the music or not? You know, it's like, well, that's good music. You know, a little loud music. It was good though, kind of rocky. I miss the old hymns, but you know, I don't know what goes on inside of your head, but maybe you think that's the big question for today. Or maybe uh, you think the question is, is um, uh, do you like the pastor? I mean, come on guys, what is there not to like here? I mean, it's like, do you like the pastor? Like, that's how you're going to choose how you're going to move forward. Or you're gonna choose the church based upon what our stands on. You know, what's our stands on the second coming of Christ and the rapture. Pastor Paul, do you think the Antichrist is on the earth now? And, and whatever you may ask. I'm telling you, this is only one question you have to answer today. Do you trust God enough to give up that chair? I mean, do you really trust God and his intentions towards you to give up that chair? And for some of us, Sunday morning, yo, I love God. That's great. Okay, but how about that living boyfriend you got? You know, God speaks to that relationship. Yeah, I don't really, I, yeah, I, I'm just gonna keep a little bit of me on that. I probably look really weird right now, but I'm just gonna keep a little, but it's like, oh, God can talk to me about certain things, but then like my money or serving other people or forgiving your father. It's like, nope, nope, I am. Nope, my dad was an, yeah, I'm sorry. My dad was a so-and-so, and I, no, you are, I am not forgiving that man. I am not forgiving him for what he did to me. I will not forgive him. And God's like, listen, you know, I have forgiven you and I love you, but I need you to give up that chair. Um, do you trust God? Regardless of how well churches have managed or mismanaged the intentions of God, 
do you trust God's idea about life more than you trust your idea about love? Do you, do you trust him? When Jesus made the statement, the son of man did not come to destroy men's life, but to save it. Did you believe him? Yeah, but if I, but if I give up the chair, and I know for some of you, this is hard to give up because you've been abused. And the last time you gave up your chair, somebody manipulated you and abused you. Um, maybe uh, there are all kinds of reasons why we may be scared to give up. Maybe you were orphaned, left, and it's been just you making it happen all on your own, and now you're telling me to give up my chair. It's like, no, I'm not telling you to give up your chair. This is what God's doing. And, and it's like, well, I can't give up my chair. And God's like, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you really believe? Yeah, but my, my inside of me, I'm, I have same-sex attraction. Okay, I got it. Okay, you have same-sex attraction. Okay, but do you trust me? But in, 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 I mean, folks, you need to realize, when I heard all this stuff, I'm like, I'm out of here. I wasn't raised a Christian. I mean, I, in my head, when I started thinking about what does God want me to be, I had to determine whether or not I trusted him or not. And I would give up the chair as I would begin. To, I had major problems with the idea of God, not his existence. I just didn't like his definition of life. Turn the other cheek. I mean, who really likes that idea? I mean, your idea is you're supposed to be misused and and forgive the other person, and you're supposed to turn the other cheek. If you say you like that idea naturally, you're whacked. I'm seriously. I mean, um, how about giving? I, I hate giving. I mean, I hate it. Matter of fact, when I hear that verse, I always say it in my head, I love it that God loves me and tolerates me. But it says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Um, matter of fact, you know, being together but doing it God's way. And God says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And I always add after I say it, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Hope he finds one. You know, because I'm not a cheerful giver. I'll do it out of duty. But I'm not cheerful about it. And God's like, dude, I'm going to need you to give up that chair. Really? Like, yeah, no, I don't want you giving out of duty anymore. I want you to give out of cheerfulness. Um, I don't like the idea of forgiving. My dad, for a time in his life, was extremely abusive. Um, yeah, I got a couple teeth here that aren't mine, but I got new ones because of my dad. And it's like, I didn't want to forgive him. He never asked me to forgive him. He never said he was sorry. And God said, yeah, I don't care about that. Um, I want you to give up the chair. And I told him he forgave me, and he just hung up the phone. I told him I forgave him, and he just kind of like, I don't know what he did with it, but he just, after I told him on the phone, he just, click, went quiet. I don't like this whole idea. Please excuse me. and You could have gone to another church. It's your own fault you're here. But I don't... I don't like this idea of sleeping with one woman for my whole life. Now, you all can pretend you like that, all right? Go for that, work that. But the idea that I'm gonna love one woman for 50 years 
and I'm only supposed to give myself to her and we're supposed to grow old together and we're supposed to, you know, find pleasure in each other and we're supposed to forgive and all this other stuff. And I'm supposed to lay down my life for her and she's supposed to honor me. That is crazy. But when I gave up that chair of, to God, I am now in a 36-year marriage that is absolutely amazing. But I had to be willing to give up the chair on what I thought marriage, no, really, what I thought women were all about. John 6, a story happens. Jesus is doing miracles, feeding the 5,000, feeds 4,000, feeds 3,000. Bread is on everybody's mind. Okay, so they're, they're getting bread. So much so that the crowd begins to follow Jesus because they, whenever they get hungry, they get bread. And so they're like following Jesus around. So Jesus will move from city to city. The crowd will go to him and they will say stupid things like, uh, Moses gave us a sign from heaven in bread. What sign do you give us? Hint, 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 how about some bread? And they kept following Jesus around for bread, but they weren't, they weren't getting it, but they wanted the bread from Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stops. And he's like, enough. Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you'll have nothing to do with me. Unless you pick up your cross and follow me, you got nothing to do with me. It's like, wait, wait, wait a minute. I came to this church because you told me Jesus just loved me the way that I am and I could stay the way that I am and I could live my own truth and he will give me everything I want in my life if I just ask for it. He's just going to give it to me. And he's like, no, that's not the city I invited you to. I invited you to pick up your cross and follow me. Wait a minute, you're talking about the death of me? He's like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The only way you'd be willing to give up you is if you believe that somebody else has got a greater idea about you than you do. Every morning I pray, when I get out of bed, I get down, I do my little liturgy and I get down, and when I don't know exactly what to pray, I will pray this one prayer. God, be greater in me than I am in myself. Be greater in me than I am in myself. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. That's what God has called us to do together. Now, um, this is bad preaching to, to grow a church. Because when Jesus did it, guess what happened? Almost all the disciples left. It's like, dude, aren't you trying to grow this thing big? He's like, no, no, I'm trying to grow this thing right. That you may be together as me and my father are together. I want it to be together, but I want it to be the way that I want together. As a result of it, many of the disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not, uh, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Here's what Peter didn't say. Peter didn't say, oh yeah, that thing about eat your body and drink your blood, I get it. Oh, that thing about uh, pick up our cross and follow you, die to self, no longer us living, but you living in us. It's like, oh yeah, I get it. No, he didn't have it figured out. 
Peter didn't say, we understand, wink, wink, Jesus, what you meant by eat my body and drink my blood. He had no more idea than the rest of the crowd. But he decided this. If I'm going to go forward, I got to give up my chair. And he says, who else can sit in my chair other than you? Because only you have the words of eternal life. So stop looking for a church that's in agreement with you, that, aff that affirms you. Be part of the city of God where it is first a place of tolerance, where it's safe to be you as you are at this moment, but also part of a church that God's best is not that you remain that way, but that you be transformed in the likeness of his dear son. Do you trust God with your sex, with your internal urges, with your addictions, with your use of money, with your career, with your parenting, with your hurts, with your abuses, with your unforgiveness? Do you trust him? Because that's the city that you've been invited to. And it's in that city that you will experience new life, life with meaning, Life with an eternal good ending. A life with the abundance of God. But you're going to have to give up that chair. So, as we go into communion, and oddly enough, what are we, we're at that point. Remember when Jesus turned to the crowd who, who had all the uh, bread and wanted more bread? He turned around and said, eat my body and drink my blood, otherwise you have nothing to do with me. We're about to serve you communion representation of the body and blood of Jesus. And what this is, is a statement that you're giving up your chair. And let me just say, this is a safe place. Very safe. I am, there's nobody in the back who's looking to see who's getting up for communion or not. I recommend, if you're not ready to give up your chair yet, um, don't come up for communion. Yeah, but that's not what we do. Um, no, that's not what we're supposed to do. This is serious. Do you believe that he has eternal life? Do you believe his intentions for you are better than your own intentions for yourself and for your marriage and for your family? Do you believe that? He said that this is the point. Eat my body, drink my blood. So I totally respect if you're like, yeah, I'm not ready to buy into this yet. And I know the temptation would be to me to soften this up a little bit. Oh, it's okay. Just stay as you are. Come on, you can be a part. I can't do that because that's not the city that God set on a hill. I really wish I could be that pastor. I really wish I could but I'd be selling you something different than God. And that would be the worst kind of pastor to be. So as you come up and you take what you're saying, you may not totally get it all, and I don't get it all. I still haven't figured out why God hasn't nuked people and why God allows evil to happen and all that. I don't get it all, but I do do this. It's like Peter, it's like, yeah, you just said, eat my body, drink your blood. Yeah, I don't, fully don't understand that, but I do know this. You're the only one that has the words to eternal life. 
take my chair, take my stool. I am no longer my own expert. Let me invite you. You don't have to have it figured out. You don't have to agree with it all. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't even have to agree with it all. All we're agreeing on right now is Jesus. And that you're willing to, okay, forgive me. And God, um, here's my chair. I don't know what you're going to do with it, but here's my chair. Father, thank you so much for your love. And I thank you, God, that, that you are breaking the myth over my mentality that I know what's best for me, that I am my own expert, that I quote myself as an authority on myself. But on the cross, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That this is a safe place for broken, screwed up people. People who have different kinds of ideologies, who think like that should be done differently than the way that you have said it to be lived. That we're safe here, but God, that's not where you wanna leave us. Because the best version of me is not me. The best version of me is Christ in me. So God, today, as I come and receive the bread, as I drink the cup, God, I turn over my chair to you. Because I am declaring that you're now my authority. You're now my expert. And I will trust you from this point forward. Let me invite you to that. And, and I got to go one step. If you have a hard time trusting, that's okay too. I have a hard time trusting. It's, it's just picking Jesus. He loves you. That woman who was caught, he loved her. She was wrong. She was caught in the wrong. But he created a space where she was safe and valued. And today you're in that space in the grace of Jesus Christ. In this church, you are safe. When he said, go and sin no more, she might not have known exactly how to pull that off. But she did hear the call to transformation. You may not know how to untangle your life. That's okay. But today, receive the mercy of God and turn over your chair to Jesus.